Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Toy Story 4 in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. If you're anywhere close to my age, so, you know, in your mid to late 20s, Toy Story probably had a pretty big impact um, in your life. The first one, you know, I was a little too young uh, to see the first one in theaters, at least by my own recollection. Uh, But I remember watching it a lot when I was a kid. You know, I was only four or so when it came out in 95. Uh, But it, it was... Even as a kid, I think you kind of understand how big of a deal it is uh, for this change in animation and for this change in storytelling. Uh, You know, we'd only really had Disney movies up until that point, 2D animated, uh, for the most part, fairy tales retold, princess stories. And as great as a lot of those movies really are, there's a little bit of... um, monotony to them you know when when snow white cinderella little mermaid beauty and the beast uh, sleeping beauty they're all different in their own way but at the heart of them it's all a story about a princess and not that there's anything wrong with that but they're all similar stories because they're all told in that vein and toy story Uh, Not that there weren't other animated films out there, of course there were, but Toy Story really broke out of that mold in a huge way. Uh, Not only are the main characters not human, or even animals, like most animated films had been, uh, they also managed to inject it with a very mature level of storytelling. And that is such such a, I mean, we have Toy Story to thank for all the Pixar movies that came after. And, you know, you ask, every, you know, 10 different people and they'll all tell you a different Pixar movie is their favorite, whether it's uh, Finding Nemo or Monsters, Inc. or Up or WALL-E or Inside Out or Toy Stories 1, 2, or 3, the, the A Bug's Life. All of these movies are great. They're all very, very, very good. And Toy Story made that happen by being as wonderful, as as brilliant as it was. I went back and rewatched um, the original Toy Story trilogy uh, starting on... Monday, and yeah, the animation is spotty now when you're looking back 14 years later, or no, 24, geez, 24 years later, Um, but it it still has that heart, it still has these beautiful, wonderful characters, it still tells this emotionally impactful journey of, of what it means to be a child's toy. And that's kind of, that's the first movie, right? It's it's what is this toy identity in this world of Toy Story? And you see Woody, who 
has been Andy's toy for who knows how long and runs the show. He is the favorite toy. The bedspreads match him. The pillowcase, the artwork, everything is his. And he has to adjust when there's a Buzz Lightyear toy. And we have all these new conflicting moral principles at play where he, you know, pushes Buzz out the window to try and remove him. And, you know, it's this defense mechanism of, you know, this is my place. This is my space. I am Andy's favorite. He is my best friend, not yours. Get out of the way. And the journey of Toy Story is is that the two of is is him finding that that understanding, that recognition of being open to, to these new characters, these new people, these new friends, and, and understanding what being there for Andy and being Andy's friend really means and being Andy's toy really means. Then four years later, uh, we got Toy Story 2. I don't even think I saw this in theaters, uh, but it's so long ago I could be mistaken. 20 years ago, we got the sequel. Um, and, you know, with with the first one being such a home run, uh, the second one had a lot to live up to. So, what more can you mine from the lives of toys and in two we get broken toys you know we get we get the perspective of of you know collectors items and and how toys are viewed by adults you know we see andy's mom shelve woody when some of his stitching comes undone we see the wayne knight character uh the uh, chicken toy guy who only sees them as a means to an end to make money, uh, you know, and I think that's re- a really interesting angle and, and shows the the breadth of perspectives, you know, because we really only got to see Andy's interaction with the toys, and that was very brief in the first movie. But in the second, we get, you know, we get to see Andy's mom, and Wayne Knight at the uh, at the yard sale, and and how she reacts when he wants to buy Woody, and how protective she gets, an understanding of, of what this toy means to her son. But we see, you know, him Wayne Knight steal Woody anyway, and and need him for his collection to to be able to sell it. And and there's some truth to that, right? Like. Many of us probably have had, I don't know, we have something that's vintage or something that, you know, we don't keep around to play with. We keep it because, you know, it's memorabilia almost. There's lots of people who do that. And, you know, when you get to Prospector, who's mint in the box, and, you know, that's something we've heard about. You know, comic book, comic books and action figures and things like that are, are... very familiar in in that sense and what's more we get introduced to jesse and you get that prolonged you know when she loved me sequence in toy story 2 which ultimately is 
an explanation for you know what what does it mean when your kid forgets about you loses you what does it mean when you don't have a kid and the terror the absolute terror on her face on bullseye's face on inspector's face when they think about going back into storage it's I, I don't know how to equate that to like real life stuff. But you feel it. You can understand it. It's it makes sense. You know, you've I've put toys in storage before or like just, you know, put them in a bag and in the closet or something to that effect. I'm sure most of us have. And it's a big deal for them. And so here we get this conflict in Woody between being that missing piece for Jesse, Bullseye, and the Prospector at versus returning to Andy. And he's battling with that inside. You know, is he beholden to his kid? Or does he have to honor these other toys who are part of his own brand, who, who need him? And, and Woody is such a good guy, like, he would not, he refuses to let them go back into storage. He won't let that happen. And so, in Toy Story 2, um, let me shut uh, the window. Jeez. Wow, super loud. Okay, I think it's going away. So in Toy Story 2, uh, you know, Woody's journey continues. We get to see him, you know, confront, uh, you know, what it, the, the future kind of, you know. He has to know in his mind, you know, he, he contends with, and the prospector really does a great job of pushing these subliminal messages into his head of, what if Andy doesn't want you? You know, what if he just threw you away? You know, what what if, you know, does he ever play with you anymore? He gets too rough. He, he breaks you. You know, there's lots of things that can, bad things that can happen to a toy. And being in front of tons of kids all the time is not a bad, not a bad gig. But I think it, it speaks to who he is and his loyalty and his determination that he ultimately goes back to Andy. He, and he brings Jesse and Bullseye with him. And that was it, right? 11 years went by before we got a Toy Story 3. And again, this is... I, I think a lot of what was said when Toy Story 3 came out is being said about Toy Story 4, which is we didn't need this movie... Uh, we'd already had the Cars sequel, and I think that was and like that was terrible. And what what more can they tell? What else is there in this lot, toy's life? And they had another story to tell. Andy grew up. Andy grew up. I remember watching this in theaters, and uh, man, I bawled my eyes out. It it. 
it's such a bittersweet moment. It has to be to to have spent your whole life with your kid, with Andy, to have been played with for so long. And this, the opening of this movie, the, one of the, the opening shot where Operation uh, Playtime is so sad. These toys stuck in this chest. Who knows, you know, maybe a couple of years they haven't been played with or touched. And their their plan, they use a discarded phone to call another discarded phone and attract Andy's attention. And when he picks up Rex to get the phone and, and he puts Rex back and shuts the chest and Rex freaks out. Freaks out because... And he touched him. It's clearly been a long time. Already it's sad. You know, already it's it's upsetting. These things, these toys, these people who have been so instrumental in Andy's life, who have shepherded him through childhood and, and adolescence, are just... I mean, they're not discarded. He hasn't forgotten about them. He's not, you know, throwing them away. But they don't play anymore. And that's sad. And so when Andy's mom makes him choose, like, what goes up in the attic and what goes to school with him and when he goes to college and what gets donated and what gets thrown out, it's it's kind of heartbreaking that Woody is the only one that goes to college or that has chosen to go to college with Andy. You know, it's obviously Woody was the first or best favorite toy and, and he means so much to Andy, but we know, the viewer, knows how important everyone else is to Woody and to Andy and to making this world more real to them. Right? Like, Woody without Bullseye, without Buzz, without Jesse, without Potato Head and Slink and Rex, Ham. It's not the same. It's just not. So everyone else is getting put in the attic, which in hindsight, is very similar to storage, um, but, so I don't, which, you know, was terrifying before, but I guess, you know, 10 years later, and now being able to spend that time with friends, and still know that you're loved, and, and desired, and want to exist, and maybe eventually go to Andy's kids, like, that's, I guess, a lot better than being put in storage. But instead, they get almost thrown out, escape, and decide to go into the donations box to Sunnyside Daycare. And Woody, trying to save them because he knew they were going to the attic and it was an accident, ends up going with them. He gets caught going with them. 
And Sunnyside Daycare, right? So I think just making this movie about Andy going to college is already a, a poignant theme and angle for for toys to for this story to go. And then we get on top of this daycare and and suddenly it's like this whole new world has opened up. And like yeah, in the first movie we got to see Sid's house and in the second movie they went to the airport and and you know, a hotel and all that stuff and a, a toy store. But the daycare is finally like the first place where we see toys that don't belong to kids and and what that means and what that can look like and it's not great and now most of that is Lotso kind of being a jerk but just (sighs) the you know, it doesn't, it's not difficult to kind of sympathize with Lotso. Being replaced? I know I've had toys and, and lost them, broken them or something, and had to get a new one. And you don't even think about it. It's just, oh yeah, I just need to get a different one, I need a new one. I'll, I'll replace it. They're all the same. And this movie contends that they're not. This movie contends that they're all different and unique. That they feel that replacement. And I think there's one thing that Toy Story 3 doesn't do, and and they say it a couple of times when Lotso says, you know, we were replaced, they replaced us, and, uh, you know, I think, and Woody is always like, they replaced you. And I I wish that the movie had addressed that a little more because that's still awful. Like, uh, they they say that as if, like, that solves everything, but it doesn't because, you know, what's he supposed to do? How, How is he supposed to feel that now he's gone? Now he's, you know, old retired, dirty, and he finds his way to Sunnyside and takes over Sunnyside, but being played with by kids that are too young, and which is another element that I, I never expected to see, is, is brilliant, right? Kids that are below the age, like, it's a terrifying sequence when those, t- like, preschool kids come back to the caterpillar room and just wreck havoc on all the Andy's toys. And so so ultimately, three, when Andy finally gives his toys to Bonnie, it's that that last lingering look when he looks in the box Woody's in there. And he, he pit pulls Woody, picks Woody out up. And you can see on Andy's face, like, this is the one. He had chosen to take this one with him to college. Of all the toys that he had ever played with and owned in his childhood, this is the one that meant the most to him. 
This is the one that meant so much he would take it to college where he wasn't going to play with it, but it was going to sit on his desk, sit on his bureau, sit you know somewhere on his windowsill. This is the one that he wanted to have with him. And he doesn't want to give it away. And in, and and for a movie about Woody, about the toys, this moment, this huge moment for them, the toys, as he's handing them over to Bonnie, it's about Andy. They are not even animate at this point. And it's, it's about how Andy understands that whether or not he's, you know, moved on, whether or not he's grown up, he still needs to, to recognize, you know, where the best place for Woody is. And, you know, he understands that it's Bonnie. He sees the joy and excitement and, and, playfulness in her that he once had and he remembers all the exciting and fun times that he had with Buzz and Woody and everybody and now he has the ability to pass all those memories on to Bonnie and it hurts but he does it On the other side, we get Woody and Buzz and everybody having to watch Andy leave. This kid who played with them for how, you know, 10, 15 years or so isn't theirs anymore. As we see at the, you know, in the fourth movie, the names on their feet are not Andy anymore. It's Bonnie. And, you know, it's kind of like getting a new pet. You know, you, you hate to replace the old one. You hate to have to lose it at all. But now with, but, but the, long, the loss and emptiness you felt is worse in a way. And so for the toys, you know, they hate to get rid of Andy or replace him. But without him, they didn't have much. And now they had Bonnie. Maybe she's not the same as Andy or better or worse or, you know, who knows. But but they have her. They are hers now. That, that inner desire to be with a kid is, is still fulfilled. And, and that's, that was it. That was the trilogy, right? The place they started at, happy, in a family, owned by a kid, being played with constantly, is where they end up, just with Bonnie instead of Andy. Full circle. It was a great trilogy. It is a great trilogy. One of the best. <laughs> what more is there to tell? Right? Like, that, that, that was the question. That is the question. What more is there to tell about Toy Story 4? 
in Toy Story 4. How much more of their stories are is, are really out there? And I had I, I I admit like I thought the same thing. I didn't understand or know or think that there was going to be a worthwhile story. Pixar's recent sequels have been lukewarm at best. Dory, Monsters University, Cars 3. And yet, I, I realize we're, you know, 25 minutes into this review, but finally starting about talking about Toy Story 4, but I loved it. I, I loved it. Because this is Woody's franchise, right? Buzz is on all the posters. Jesse's been a, was a big character in two. Um, you know, you've had Ham, Potato Head, and Slink, and Rex the whole time, but it's Woody's franchise. So it's Woody's story. <clears throat> and four wraps his story up. And I, I thought it was wrapped up too, right? But it's not. We see in the first, you know, 10, 15 minutes of this movie of four, life with Bonnie is, is pretty good. Um, but there are some changes. And I think four does a really good job of addressing those differences and those changes. For instance, uh, Woody's no longer the sheriff. Jesse is. Woody doesn't get played with that much. Jesse does. That that's a huge thing all on its own, and it's not really addressed that much in the movie. It's let there, left there, dropped there, and just kind of needs to sink in. Bonnie's starting school now, the start of this movie. She can't take toys with her. But Woody goes anyway. Because he remembers when Andy went to school. And how much Andy needed them. And he wants to do the same for Bonnie. And then we get Forky. Right? Because for a kid, anything can be a toy. I remember, and I don't know exactly what this thing was... Or, or where I found it, or ultimately what happened to it. I had this little red, um, kind of looked like a, it's kind of the size of a house from, from Monopoly. It was red, though, and it was sh more rectangular shaped. Uh, and I, when I was young, I, I treated it kind of like a car. And I think I called it Carlet. Like a, like a tiny car, and it was it, it looked I think in in hindsight now I think it was like the cap to the end of something, uh, and I don't know what it was, but I found it and it was mine, and I, for a period of time like I love that thing, and that's Forky. It's a spork. As Forky himself says in the movie. He is meant to be used and thrown away. He's trash. But when a kid gives you a face, gives you a name, writes her name on your 
feet. You're a toy now. And it felt like that was this movie. And I think that's a story worth telling. I think, you know, what does it mean to be created by your kid? You know, what what does that, how does that make sense? How, how do you comprehend that? Uh, but that's not really the story, as it turned out. Uh, most, most of the movie, it revolves around a road trip uh, with Woody taking on the duty of, of making sure Forky doesn't throw himself away, <laughs> basically. And along the way, he comes to terms with his own mortality. Uh, you know, he he's no longer the favorite toy. He's no longer in charge of the playroom, as we see in this movie as well. And that isn't, you know, the end of his life, really. You know, he's just used to that with Andy. And now Bonnie's a different kid, a different kid with different interests and different likes and dislikes and ways of playing so you can't fault him and I think for that it's the start of it he handles that well and the longer we go and the deeper the movie goes gets uh, the the more difficult it becomes for him to handle his new lot in life and so he transfers all of this responsibility that he used to have onto Forky. Now he sees how important Forky is to Bonnie and, and ultimately the other toys do as well, but it's really just Woody who's taking it upon himself to keep Forky there, save him, protect him, and through him, Bonnie. You know, if she doesn't play with him as much, then he f feels kind of forgotten and discarded and now he wants to this is the thing he can do for her this is the thing that he can do to protect her help her whether she knows it or not and that ends up opening this whole wide world so much more than any of the previous movies Toy Story 4 takes a lot of time outside of being played with and being in a, uh, a bedroom or a, a, even in three where it's a lot of the time time in a daycare. This one goes outside. We go to a, 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 a carnival and playgrounds and campgrounds. And there's a scene where they're just walking down the side of the road. It's a lot. The animation is, is beautiful. It, it looks so real when they're out there. And part of what this ending journey is for Woody is it's, it's what it means for him. It's where his, I don't know how to say it, um, Woody was back to where he started at the end of three where he started at one, and 
I think that's what he thought he needed. And we see in the beginning of 4 that it's not. You know, this this franchise became so much more than just being about toys finding their place alongside a kid. I mean, Woody, he's barely a toy anymore. Woody's a more interesting character than you know, 99.9% of all human characters in other movies. And this, and 4 reflects that. Because he's not, he's kind of changed, he's evolved, he's matured, he's grown. You know, whether that's what, you know, shepherding Andy off to college or, uh, you know, saving Jesse and Bullseye or, you know, facing sh- uh, imminent death in the landfill scene in three and, and coming out of that, uh, being transferred over to Bonnie and then finally watching Andy ride away. And in that moment, you, you, I think going, look, remembering that moment after seeing four and how four resolves. That's kind of all Woody needed. And now, obviously, Bonnie mentions at the end of 3, you know, my cowboy, and wants him. But I think when you get to see Bonnie in 4, it becomes pretty apparent that if she had seen, if it had been Jesse from the start, Woody would have been an afterthought. And... I think he realizes, and it takes him pretty much most of four to realize he's not a child's plaything anymore. Like he tells Buzz in the first movie, you're a toy, you're a child's plaything. And Buzz responds, you know, you're a sad, strange little man. And that that exchange permeates through four, I think, better than anything else. Because he is. He's sad a lot of four. He's a strange guy. It's commented on in four, you know, how different he is, how, you know, he is loyal to a fault. Uh, you know, how how for him, it's, it's everyone together or no one. Uh, you know, all these things, all these traits and attributes that he has that make him who he is. And... Four is about that exchange, about him realizing that he isn't a child's play, just a child's play thing anymore. About how he is a little man. He has his own life. His own dreams and wants and hopes and desires and feelings. And, and four is really about Woody finding himself and learning along that path how sometimes what you're meant to be, what you were made to be, what you were created for, in this case a a toy, a child's play thing, isn't necessarily who you are. In the same way that Forky, just a spork, a trash isn't trash. He's a toy.
And I, I think that they tell this story so well. I think the voice acting is, is pretty stellar. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a great, great new world that they get to explore. None of this movie, outside of the stuff in Bonnie's room, takes place in a, in a, in a location we've seen before. And Bonnie's room is like five minutes of the movie. We get to meet new characters. Keanu Reeves as, as um, what's his name? Uh, Duke Kaboom. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Keegan-Michael Key and, and Jordan Peele as Ducky and Bunny are a lot of fun. Getting to know some of uh, Bonnie's toys a little bit better, like Dolly and Trixie. Buttercup, Mr. Prickle Pants. Tony Hale as Forky is is brilliant. Uh, Annie Potts as Bo Peep is amazing. She is outstanding. My favorite in the movie. Um, you've got Christina Hendricks uh, as Gabby Gabby who is, is a pretty fantastic character in this movie. Uh, not to get too deep into that, but Ali, Mac, Ali Maki as uh, Giggle McDimples is also a lot of fun. And, and just seeing these toys out in the world, whether it's at a playground, where it's such a contrast to the, to the life that they led in or that that was revealed in Sunnyside Daycare. It's it's such a distinct contrast to an antique store, which has its own, you know, fascinating elements. In a way, one of the things I thought of watching this movie and and, and reflecting upon it, it's it reminded me a lot of Zootopia. In that there's an overarching message to Zootopia about, you know, prejudice and stereotypes. But when you get into the individual elements of Zootopia, there are a lot of different moving parts. Uh, which is why I've always thought, you know, you can't just say this, you know, predators represent this type of person in real life. I think there's a lot of different, you know, it's it's not about... You know, these are white people and these are black people, or these are men and these are women. It's it's these are just people, and, and the, or these are just animals, and and this is how they are presented in this movie, and this is a movie about prejudice, and there's no one for one correlation. And because of that, it's it's just it's a wide, sprawling movie that goes to a lot of places and handles a lot of things and covers a lot of ground. And I think Toy Story Four does the same thing because it goes. A lot of places. It covers a lot of ground with a lot of characters. Because um, Ducky and Bunny are at a carnival. You meet Bo Peep and Combat Carl. Who I, I loved Combat Carl uh, in this movie. In like the one scene he's in. Two scenes he's in. Uh, at the playground. And 
you know, amidst these quote-unquote lost toys, uh, Gabby Gabby and Duke Kaboom at the antique store, uh, you know, there's all this stuff. And it's a movie that feels dangerously close to coming off the rails. Dangerously close to, to you know, just, just crumbling under the own weight, that it, its own weight. And somehow... Somehow, Josh Cooley, director, um, all the writers, uh, particularly screenplay writers, uh, Stephanie Folsom and Andrew Stanton, managed to keep things on on track and on the path uh, to the very end. And I I just, I I think, you know, there's so much more that I I haven't even mentioned going on in this movie, and I, I really loved so much of it. Uh, I cried a couple of times uh, toward the end, and um, man, it is, they did it, I don't know how they did it, but they did it, I don't, I don't think it's as good as any of the previous three, not that that means much because of how great the previous three are i still think it's an exceptionally amazing movie it is at the moment the best thing i've seen from this year uh, by a by a margin by a significant margin it just it continues a a a historic franchise i i can't think of a better you know quadrology ever you know like i was looking I don't have my spreadsheet open. Um, but, you know, you think of something like Mad Max, Fury Road, which was an incredible fourth movie in a franchise, but the quadrology itself is not nearly as strong. Toy Story 4 recaptures the excitement, the joy, the humor, the characters, the the life that so many others didn't have, that, that so many other movies just don't have. And... They keep going back to these movies, and you never think they have another story to tell, and they always do. And there's more layers to it than just a simple Woody learning who he is. There's so much more to it than that. And I loved it. I really did. And I'm excited to see it again. Uh, I was wavering on the score to give it uh, yesterday. Between It's a low 90s for me. Uh, all the other movies, you know, Toy Story 1, 100, Toy Story 2, 95, Toy Story 3, 98. And I knew this was below 2, but I, I couldn't pinpoint it. I, I ended up, I landed on a 92. And I think there's a good chance that it, it's just going to settle there and stay there. Uh, but I'm excited to see it again and, and just confirm that and just experience it again. It's really funny and it's a lot of it just it's more than nostalgia it really is it's more than nostalgia it's just really good storytelling and really good characters and and that's that's what movies are right that's that's what they need to be and toy story embodies that brilliantly so no spoilers i think i mean i don't know no no real spoilers at all today uh, this is, you know, half Toy Story franchise retrospective, half Toy Story 4 review. 
Um, it's it's all over the Circle of Film Awards. Picture, director, Hanks, Potts, Hale, uh, in, in performances, screenplay, song. We've got another Randy Newman song. It's not, you know, it's never going to be You've Got a Friend in Me, but uh, visual effects and, and special effects, uh, best scenes, some great scenes at the end of this movie that I won't get in too deep into. Uh, but, man, it is quite quite an exceptional film and it lives up to the previous ones it does so toy story 4 this is this is my review of it thank you for listening to today's episode go see toy story 4 revisit the old ones because they're still great and that's that's about it uh thank you for listening to today's episode. It does mean a lot. And um, if you'd like to find more episodes, you can go over to circleoffilm.com for most of those. If they're not on the thing you're using to listen to this, you can find get in touch with me uh, at, um, at Circle of Film on, on Twitter, Circle of Film on Letterboxd, uh, or email circleoffilm at gmail.com. You can support this podcast by liking, rating, reviewing, subscribing, wherever it is, wherever you are, uh, or going to patreon.com slash circle of film and subscribing for as little as eight cents an episode. And yeah, that's about it. Thank you once more. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me. Even as she fades from view So long, farewell, I'll be saying adieu Nothing's really left or lost without a trace Nothing's gone forever, only out of place So long, farewell, oh what I'll be just saying Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So